Welcome, Temple family and friends. We're so glad to have you joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. This podcast aims to engage our faith community through thoughtful biblical discussions centered on God's Word. Our goal is to explore Scripture together to discover the wisdom it has for our lives. In this podcast, we'll be diving deep into God's truths and discussing how they impact our daily living. We're eager to unpack the riches of the Bible with you all, our extended church family. And now, here's Temple Talk. Welcome, Temple family and friends, to another episode of Temple Talk. As always, I am Tuck Cho, and joined by our pastor, Bennett Holloway. Bennett, how are you doing? I am doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited to do chapter 13 of Nehemiah. It's an interesting one, and I'm excited to do that with you right now. Absolutely. Before we get into um, the meat of the sermon, uh, a couple of things that I want to talk to you about. Um, next week, we have a special service coming up. Yep. Um, I know we have Lord's Supper. We have some baptisms. Talk mm-hmm. us through what that'll look like and, and some of the importance of, of what we're going to see next Sunday. Right. So the ordinances that we see in Scripture are baptism and communion. And so these two things are beautiful symbols, and they're things that we're going to be walking through and participating with new believers or maybe those that haven't taken that first step of obedience in believers' baptism. Or um, we'll also be really coming to the Lord. We'll be coming to the table, and we'll be breaking bread and drinking juice and reflecting on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid on the cross. So big picture is out there, if you are listening and maybe you're confused about what baptism is, I can walk you through real quick, if you don't mind, uh, why we do it and the example that we see in Jesus Christ and the example that we see in the New Testament. Um, But really what we believe is that baptism is an outward symbol of an inward commitment. And what it does is it gives us an opportunity to display to everyone that's observing that we are a new creation, that we have our old self is gone and uh, the new self has been risen, that we have risen with Christ. And so that uh, we are doing it because Jesus Christ did it before he began his ministry. But then also we're doing it because he commissioned us, he commanded us to do it uh, through the Great Commission, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So a big aspect of this is we do it by immersion because uh, that's what that word baptismo actually means. And also we do it by immersion because that's the example that Jesus Christ gave. Mm-hmm. As we walk through the, uh, the order that we see in the Great Commission, as we walk through the symbol that it represents, we believe wholeheartedly that baptism is meant after you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and it's meant, uh, we call believer's baptism, submersion. Um, And so if you're like me, uh, maybe you were raised in a background that did sprinkled babies um, or something along those lines. My mom and dad were intentional about dedicating me unto the Lord in that special way, but I did not accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior out of the womb, and the Lord needed to do some things to draw me into saving knowledge that ultimately led in me recognizing, no, I need him, mm-hmm. and I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I, I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, Romans 10, 9, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then therefore you are saved. So I believe that 
For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. And then John 3, 17, that God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And so that is an outward display, a symbol of what God has done in my life. And so we've got baptisms happening on various ages. Um, We've got some that are getting baptized that are older. Uh, that have made decisions uh, to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior many years ago. And then we've got some that are young children that are saying, yes, we believe in this, and they've met with us pastors, and we've walked through things, and um, their mom and dad have come to a point to where they're confident in their ability uh, to discern whether or not uh, they're ready for baptism. And so we're participating in Believer's Baptism on Sunday, the 29th, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a big celebration because what actually is being represented right there is changed eternities. And my, my prayer, my prayer is that people that look and watch the testimony fleshed out in the display of obedience that we see in these uh, these people getting baptized, that it, the Holy Spirit will use it to draw people into recognizing, I want that, mm-hmm. I need that, I, I, I need to be saved, and I want to live sold out to the Lord as well. And so it's going to be a lot of fun, and we always try to invite family members and people that we know that don't know the Lord because we're going to be sharing testimonies throughout the process, and we're already praying for those family members that are coming that we know don't know the Lord. And so it's going to be a really beautiful time where we celebrate in the family, in the church body, as we recognize these, these people that are really following in steps of obedience and uh, joining our church and being baptized into the life of our church. And so we're, uh, we're excited about that and we're thankful um, that God gave us that. And then on the other side of it is we're doing the communion um, we're doing communion at the end of service. And so the big thing that we've been trying to emphasize is that we just spend some good time preparing ourselves um, to, to participate in communion, that we're preparing our hearts and we're stepping into this one with a level of reverence and respect, not, not being scared, mm-hmm. um, but a, a level of reverence and gratitude, thankfulness, as we get to participate in communion together as believers in Jesus Christ, remembering the body that was broken and the blood that was shed through the example not only of Christ, right, but also through what he's commanded us to do um, up there in the upper room before he went to Calvary. So it's going to be a fun service. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be celebratory. And uh, I'll be teaching a little bit on both of those things as we walk through it. Wonderful. I am greatly looking forward to it. I always get a little bit emotional at baptisms. Um, It's just a, it's a joy that just flows out to see people dedicating their lives in that way. To have an outward expression Mm -hmm. and seeing someone that's dry come up, right? (laughs) After they've held their breath underwater and they come up, it is a, it's a beautiful thing. It's special. It's very special. It's not supernatural, but it is very special. Uh, and if people want to be able to join in that, can they still do that? Yeah. So the way that I would go about it right now between now and then is to reach out to the church at 252-633-3330. And you can talk to, um, you can talk to a pastor. You can request a conversation. 
Um, as we get closer, obviously, it's going to be a little more difficult to uh, organize those conversations and those dialogues. Um, but even if we can't get it in right now, I mean, we can baptize the next week and the next week and the next week. Um, the baptism isn't meant to only be on one day. And so um, what I believe will happen and can happen as we uh, as we pray continually, as we live by the Bible, as we share joyfully and meet together, we're going to see more baptisms come about. Uh, because ultimately we're worshiping God through obedience, but also we're seeing we are making Jesus known. And uh, as we make him known through the way that we live our lives, more people will come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Love it. Uh, and then another thing that Dr. Ewart started the sermon with before he got into Nehemiah is that he prayed for our new pastor that the Lord has for us here at Temple that we haven't met yet. Um, we are still actively searching for that person, but God knows who he is already. And he prayed specifically for that person that we don't know who it is. And I, I loved it. It actually reminded me of something that I did years ago that I prayed for my wife, Chelsea, before I met her. And I actually wrote down some of my prayers. I prayed for her heart. I prayed for her safety, for her family situation, even before I met her. And I would say, God, you know who my future wife is. You know Chelsea, even though I didn't know that name at the time. Protect her. Prepare her to meet me. And he did. And when we got married, I actually handed over my little booklet of prayers that I had prayed over her. Um, and I felt like we did that yesterday with our pastor. We don't know who he is, but God knows who that person is, and we're already praying for him specifically. Yeah. And I think it's such a powerful thing that we don't always do because we are limited by our minds, uh, what we can see in our here and now, um, instead of letting God have that power through our prayers to say, you know, and we're praying for that. All right, so a week or two ago, uh, in Nehemiah, we saw the people rejoicing at the dedication of the rebuilt walls. Uh, the temple was ready to go, and they were at a spiritual high. They were on fire. Right. But this week, we Nehemiah comes back, and he has a lot of things to put right because mm. they have fallen away. Um, they have gone into disobedience again, and it's just a cycle that we see so often in the Bible of a spiritual high followed by a need for, for change and reform. Yeah. So this time, Nehemiah is having to confront their sin, um, their compromises, and he's coming in and he's, he's being a little rough about it. Yeah. What do we do with, with situations like this where we're seeing, you know, how can we take this and apply it to our lives? Because I don't want to be rough in the way that I handle <laughs> so Nehemiah, pull, so Nehemiah pulls out hair. Mm -hmm. So you don't want you don't want to go in and pull out hair, and uh, and get physical because he chased people out, and um, yeah, Nehemiah, it was incredible. So th there's some things in here for chapter 13 that I think are so much fun to talk about, and it really begins, it really opens the floor to some dialogue as we think through this chapter, as we think through the book of Nehemiah and and Israel itself, and we think through us here at Temple. And something that, that is interesting here is as Nehemiah, for a season, he leaves, and he, then he returns. And when he returns, he finds 
that there are significant levels of compromise that have taken place. And the categories of that compromise, I think, are beautiful. They're paralleled in the New Testament. They're paralleled when you see Jesus Christ uh, lead in the cleansing of the temple. Um, they're, they're paralleled when it comes to stewardship uh, and the talents and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so when we look through chapter 13, we have to recognize the specific context in which he returns, and the people of Israel have already begun compromising on the very thing a couple chapters earlier they had pledged to and committed to, the covenants that their leaders, that their, that their uh, spiritual leaders, that their priests have signed, right? Nehemiah was the first one. He, they signed these commitments, and Israel committed to these things and pledged and said, yes, we are in. They've done so much of the hard work. They've, they've, they've rebuilt the wall. They've, they've seen God do some incredible things and overcome some significant, some significant enemies. And then all of a sudden, Nehemiah comes back and he sees them compromising on one, uh, the, the standards that they had for holiness and the purity of the temple, but then the repercussions of that, which leads to this, this, this drift that's taken place to where there's compromise on the provision of the people. So therefore, through the lack of provision for the people, the people that would typically be doing the ministry of the temple were then they were found in the fields trying to make money for their family to survive. And we see really this overall compromise and this brokenness in Nehemiah as he looks at the people and recognizes, one, Tobiah needs to be expelled from the church and this intermingling with, with these different people groups that, that we committed not to do, and we've, we've compromised in this. And so he comes in hard and he chases them out, and then he also uh, acknowledges and leads the people into restoring the tithes and the Sabbath commitment and reemphasizes this deep, deep need for us to um, recognize this covenant of marriage and how important it is for people to be a part of the same covenant as, as we see uh, in that Scripture teaches of being equally yoked. So uh, with Nehemiah 13, it's just been um, a lot of fun seeing how he corrects and addresses and holds accountable the people within, really, the modern-day church. Let's say that. People that are part of these people that have agreed to be held accountable to these standards. They previously said, yes, we're all in. The Lord, uh, you, have, you have it all. We're all yours. And then they've drifted and it's led to compromise. And it's led to disobedience. And that's led to a lack of purity and lack of focus. And then an inevitable cycle that is it plagues Christians. It plagues the church. It plagues mankind as this lack of dependence on God and this focus shift that takes place that gets them off mission. Dr. Ewart spoke of it as a fire. You, right. can, you can start off the fire. It's blazing strong. But no matter what you do, if, if you leave it, to just burn on its own, it will grow dimmer, That's right. eventually go out, and you're left with, with a pile of ash. It will consume the fuel 
it will either run out of oxygen or the temperature will be too low um, for the for it to take place. Yes, mm-hmm. fire will inevitably go out unless it's fed. Right. And that's what he was talking about is he relates that to us and, and to the example that we see in Nehemiah is that there needs to be a constant feeding of the fire, but then also of ourselves to keep this momentum going. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it will just inevitably peter out to nothing. Yep. And I think that's where we... We find ourselves here with the push for small groups especially, but the push to be in the Word, the push to be in prayer, because without these, you know, adding that fuel to the fire of our spirituality, it's it's going to go out just as sure as we see in Nehemiah, just as sure as a fire that we see in our backyard. Right. So what it comes down to is how we are all growing in Christ-likeness. And the role that the church has in the discipleship process of being apprentices of Jesus Christ. And so I think that as we've worked through as a church what it means to seek first the kingdom of God uh, and and his righteousness, we keep coming back to these these disciplines or these virtues that mean that something that we will do is we worship God. We affirm God's worth by honoring and glorifying him through our words and our actions. Something that we just do as kingdom seekers, as people that really are apprentices of Jesus Christ, we pray continually. We approach God with appropriate honor and persistently and fervently pray, submitting to his will with thanksgiving. These are, these are disciplines that have to be exercised. These are commitments that require a next step, an action, a response by us. But what I see them doing is they create a healthy space that stroke the flames that the Holy Spirit uses to set us on fire. It's also a level of accountability with ourselves as he really leads us in that process because um, I I just think it's a beautiful illustration that he gave through fire um, that we can really see uh, the Holy Spirit desiring to move in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And you said it's a discipline and it's an exercise. Those two words that you used really kind of showcase the fact that it it doesn't always come easy. Right. It doesn't always come naturally. Mm. It's something that we have to build up and practice within ourselves to where it becomes a habit, to where it becomes easy. Right. Well, uh, when we understand the value and the consequences of it, it becomes easier to choose it, mm-hmm. right? And so if we come to a place to where uh, we recognize um, really what the Word of God is, and we really understand the authority of Scripture, we're going to want to live by the Bible. The Holy Spirit is going to, when we're desiring to seek the will of God, that will drive us to a dependency of praying continually, right? And so these things, so it's both a discipline that has to be done, but it's also something that the Holy Spirit develops in us in the character of Jesus Christ as we seek first his kingdom, as we're outwardly focused. He's the one that cultivates this need and Mm -hmm. desire in us to even step out in this. So it's this beautiful balance that we see in the life of a believer to where it's, yes, we have to walk out our faith, but the only reason that we can even walk or have faith is by the grace of God and what he's doing and what he's done through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit by sending a son. And so it's this thing that's happening in us and to us as he's developing us to look more like him. 
And it's difficult and abstract, but the reality is we, we see in Scripture. We, we see all throughout, the, the, from Genesis to Revelation, we see this story of Jesus Christ restoring and reconciling that which was broken and drifted, right? And so we see God healing and restoring and reconciling that which was broken in Genesis, and we will see it in fullness at the end. Mm-hmm. It's just we're in this beautiful in-between where what's our role and how are we held accountable, not only in the context of church, but also in the context of our personal private relationships with God. One of the other things that you mentioned that I want to go back to um, is as Nehemiah was coming back and seeing the situation after he had been gone for a little while, you mentioned that even the Levites um, needed to go work in the fields. And that is a direct consequence of actions of other people. So the Levites were not supposed to be working. They were supposed to sustain themselves on the tithes of the other tribes. And when those tribes weren't fulfilling their obligations, the Levites could no longer do their work because they had to go get food from somewhere. And I think it's something that speaks to something that we don't always pay attention to is that our sin and what we do in our lives has a direct effect on the people around us. So the question that what I would ask because of that statement is, okay, so let's just acknowledge here for a second that when we live in a wage where we don't share joyfully, which has consequences to where maybe we're not living by the Bible and we're not serving others, we're not making Jesus known, we're not, we're not living out these disciplines, or it's, it's led to us compromising on the commitments that we've made, right, to the Father um, and to the mission that he's, the commission that he's put us on earth to accomplish. As we sit down, as we think through it, something that I think is just very important is recognizing Um, that all of us, every single one of us, at the end of time, will be standing before him in fullness, his fullness. And we're going to have to recognize that there are things that we need to acknowledge that we didn't steward well. And there's a grace that he's going to give, but there's going to be people, and this is where my heart breaks, there are going to be people that come before him and recognize in that moment how true and real he is. And they're going to receive exactly what they chose by rejecting him throughout their life. They're going to receive that in fullness. And so where I would challenge us to really try to pray through is is recognizing that the level of accountability that we're talking about here isn't just within the context of a believer in a covenant. This is a level of accountability that has eternal consequences. And so what I would challenge us, and if we can get outside of our temporal, short-term stuff, and we can have eternal perspective, what we are going to, what will be cultivated in us is a burden for people that do not know him. It's going to be a burden for people that we see every single day that have not experienced the grace that God has given, the hope and the joy that's been made available through his son, Jesus Christ. Like, like this outwardly focused, 
burden that we have. And that's where some people, we have a differentiation is we think that um, because they or we or sin, people choose to do that, then that means we need to try to get people not to sin. And the, the problem with this alignment that I see is, is that ultimately our desire is to share the gospel of the solution to a problem that happened in Genesis that God provides the partial answer to right now, which is available to every single person with breath through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his sacrifice that breaks this, this threshold that was it used to be inherited by blood, but now it's inherited through faith, and it, and it crosses a threshold generationally and nationality-wise. And now all of a sudden, that when the gospel is presented, that people have a choice to receive, the Holy Spirit draws them into a revelation of a need of a Savior, and ultimately people accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then that shift takes place to where now all of a sudden they're a part of the church and the very bride that Christ established and is coming back for, and then all of a sudden the level of accountability that takes place in the context of the church has a different heartfelt disposition. Mm-hmm. That we that we it's not because um, our motivation is for the sake of soul care. It isn't for anything else, that our desire is to see a people that is in pursuit of holiness, but they also have this burden to get outside of themselves to share the gospel. That's why we worship God. We pray continually. We live by the Bible. We share joyfully. We meet together. We serve others. We make Jesus known because these, in their very essence, are this deep deep burden to recognize that God has a will and God has a way and it's been revealed through scripture and it's been revealed through the son Jesus Christ who came died and rose again and then therefore through faith we can be saved and walk in not only the forgiveness of our sins but also experience life to the fullest depth possible that we can today by living it the way he's taught us to live it, thy will be done. And so all of a sudden the shift takes place. And when Nehemiah comes back to a people that he thought, oh, they got it. They get it. We've seen him move. We've seen him do it. And all of a sudden he comes back from his vacation and he turns around and looks and he sees the absolute inward corruption that has taken place in the very thing that they sought purity for, obedience towards, commitment towards, when he sees all of this, he holds them accountable. And I think that's a beautiful description of prioritizing this level of accountability within the context of this covenant and this commitment that's been made by the people. And uh, and the way that Nehemiah ends it is one that we pray... Um, it's, and it's 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 beautiful. And so what I think, um, remember me, oh my God, for good. And this deep, deep desire to see thy will be done, to see his temple restored, to see his church reconciled, to see the bride prepared. But also, honestly, 
the bride also uh, to be as full and jam-packed as possible because there are people that are outside the walls of our church right now that desperately need him. And I'm not saying that just because I'm judging them. I'm saying that because of what I've experienced in the revelation of this dependency on Christ that we see in New Testament church that we're dealing with right now. So I love looking at Nehemiah. I love looking at the purpose. I love looking at chapter 13. But if we can't take this and shift it to say, okay, how does it impact us today? That's part of the purpose of this podcast. That's right. part of the desire that we have to take it from an incredible message with incredible intentionality. That's the word of God being taught, shifting it towards application, emphasis, and the impact that it should make in every single believer and how it recalibrates us, how it feeds the flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that this is a really a, a desire that Tuck and I have to allow this podcast to do the very thing. Yeah, it's it's taking it from an intellectual words on the page and hoping to be able to put it into a heart. Because as you said, when we're looking at the world and we're frustrated with the sin and right. the devastation and the evil that's out there, we can't make a difference in what's going on without God. That's good. And in order to make a difference... We can't just go out and and change someone's mind. We have to change their heart. And we have to give them the good news, give them the gospel, and allow God to come in and make those changes. Yeah, this desire to where I want to give him every opportunity possible to lead, to call unto himself people Mm -hmm. that are lost. I mean, I, I deeply desire to give every opportunity possible and it may look different in different ways, different venues, different you know aspects of evangelism. Mm-hmm. But if we can if we can shift the perspective to be pre-evangelizing, and li- quite literally sharing our testimony as to what God's done, and casting vision of what He's going to do, I can just see um, a shift and a wave that takes place in our city mm-hmm. here at New Bern. And I believe that uh, that's something that the Lord is setting up. Absolutely. So I kind of wanted to pose a question to the people in our third chair, the people that are sitting at home listening to us. Um, I I really want to put it on your heart as you're listening um, to examine your life, to view it as that fire that wherever it is, it is growing dimmer without you consistently feeding that fire. So I want you to think of a way that you can continually feed that to sustain your passion, um, to continue to feed it, to tend it, to poke and prod it, sometimes in a painful way um, as you are moving things around inside your life, inside your fire, um, so that it, it doesn't shrink and die out. I think along with that, is to be able to lean on God and to be able to lean on your brothers and sisters when God convicts us of our sin. And that's not always an easy thing um, because there will be something that has come out um, that you recognize you have made a mistake, you have been doing something that you don't want to do. Um, And to be able to share that with them, to get prayers, to get wisdom, um, and and we need those 
things to help us break what Dr. Ewart called the scripts of our persistence sin. We have a script of what we do that we just go back into and we start following the script again. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's beautiful. And I think that's part of the way when we let relationships cross thresholds that lead to vulnerability in the context of small groups where people care more about you and your relationship with the Lord than what you can bring to the table, right, than what you have to offer. Mm -hmm. When we can get to those spaces, right, we're going to see that very thing take place, a discipleship take place to where we can sit there and say, hey, I'm not alone. This is what was a struggle, and this is what we've been through, and this is where I'm at. And the more that we get to do that, the more the enemy will flee because he doesn't want that. He specializes in making people feel like they're all alone. Mm -hmm. He specializes in isolation. He specializes in lies that specifically prevent the very thing that we know. James 5, we know that confessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ will lead to healing. We know that it's going to be good when light is shined in the deepest, darkest places of our lives and in the space of trust and community of discipling uh, that happens in the context for us here at Temple in small groups. That's something that we must strive for and not settle if we don't have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we have a listener question, and I think it it really ties into what we've kind of been talking about here. Um, It says, my daily prayer life has fallen off. I start out motivated, but I struggle to stick with it. Do you have any practical tips for making praying a consistent habit? So something that, you know, as we sit down and we walk through praying continually— and we walk through Matthew 6, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Philippians 4, 6, as we fervently, persistently submit to his will with thanksgiving. Um, one of the, so there are many different tools in which we can use uh, to develop this discipline uh, and grow in maturity on how we can understand, Lord, thy will be done. And so an aspect of that spiritual discipline that I've experienced and that I, your tech you've brought up and that you're going to walk us through is really praying through using the Word of God as a supplement of guide to pray through Scripture so that the Holy Spirit, you're praying Scriptures back to Him. And so we're using His words, His promises, Him and his perfect revelation in the Word of God as a guide in these processes to say, okay, Lord, I, I want to sit in this Scripture, and I want to walk through it and pray, Holy Spirit, open my eyes, soften my heart to the very things that are contradictory to this passage. And so just to give you guys some context, what Tuck's about to walk us through, Donald Whitney is a professor um, out of Southern. Uh, he's an author. Uh, He also has written uh, a couple different books on spiritual disciplines, Um, but but this one right here, this book is a short book that some of our small groups are even studying right now, Um, but it's called Praying the Bible. And so uh, Tuck really felt the Lord push upon his heart a practical application, and he's going to walk us through it right now on the podcast. So if you don't have your Bibles, um, stop open it to Psalm 121 so you can get a real good practical application. And if you don't, or if you want to do it later, then just take some notes and he's going to lead us through it. Yeah. So this book was given to me by by my wife um, and it's been wonderful to read through. Um, 
it's a little bit difficult writing for myself, but the what he has to say in there is life-changing as far as how you pray. Because if we think about conversations that we have with people in our lives, they are two-way conversations. And what you have to say, I then build off of, and then you respond to that. And so what Donald Whitney was talking through is if we just sit down and close our eyes and pray, we end up saying what he says is the same old things about the same old things. And it's okay to pray about the same old things because the things that are important in our lives are generally important in our lives, our family, our health, our friends, our relationship with God. Those things don't change throughout the the days or the years. But when we fall into a rut of what we say about them, we can get a script that becomes monotonous to ourselves, and it makes it difficult to continue to want to pray when you say, I, I said the exact same thing yesterday. It's hard to do it again. Yeah, definitely. We run out of stuff, mm-hmm. right? And so it becomes mundane. It becomes a box list. It becomes a thing we just do. We just check off. That's right. Yep. yep. So, what, so he, th- what you're getting at is this is going to just spice up your prayer life. right? Here. <laughs> That's what you're, you're giving us examples. Spice up your prayer life. So uh, walk us through it. Yeah, so um, he he talks through find a psalm. That's one of the the easiest things to do because it it is a prayer. It's a song to God that already gives us something to work off of. So I'm going to read through Psalms 121. I'm going to read it a verse or two at a time and then pray with us. So verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, Father, we lift our eyes to you. You are the great God and Father who has created this world with your voice. You alone are our help, for you alone are sovereign in all the earth. You can and you will help us when we call, and, Father, we call on you now for help. Help us to see our situation rightly. Help us to see our sin. Help us to know how to move forward with whatever situation we are in now. Give us wisdom and love. Give us patience and perseverance. Give us a vision of ourselves that you have of us. Help us to see ourselves clearly, not as others see us, for good or for bad, but how you view us as beloved children who need a father, who need a shepherd. So verse 3 says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Thank you, Father, for your immovable and ever-persistent presence in our lives. You secure us and you watch over us when we are most vulnerable. Verse 5 says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand, and the sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. I pray that you watch over us, Bennett and myself, but also for the third chair that's here with us listening. We pray that you will guide us to guide them in their struggles now, for you shelter us, you shade us, and you keep us safe. Verse 7 says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going in and your coming out from this time forth and forevermore. Father, I pray that you keep us from all evil. Be our protection and our hedge around us and give us your mind that we can discern your will for us 
and our lives and our family. Whatever the nagging question is on our heart, whatever the stressor at work is, whatever our family struggle is, whatever our health concerns are on our hearts and our minds, Lord, you keep it all. You hold us all within your hand. Father, watch over us and love us as only you can. Shelter us in your shadow now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that Donald Whitney he sets up in his book is he gives us this outline that really there's a plethora of psalms that we can really pray through just like what you just did. Mm. And there are opportunities for the Lord just to really frame us and our disposition and our heart as we work through it. And so we've got some testimonies of people that have been participating in praying through the psalms because um, in the book of Psalms we see every human expression of feeling and emotion that's possible. Um, and we see that dealt with before the Lord. And so as we work through this prayer guide, as we work through praying the Word, what it ends up doing is it ends up really changing our perspective and developing our prayer life. And so if that's something that uh, you feel like maybe that's a flame in your life that, is, that has grown to embers or that fire has gone out, like this question, had, like the person that listens to this asked, then I would just strongly encourage you um, to, to use the word uh, as your guide and really have some trust in the Holy Spirit, opening your eyes um, to a prayer life uh, that is, you know, it's going to be powerful for you. And I think it's going to inevitably impact the way that you see things. Because in the end, I think all of us do a little bit better with a guide. Right, we we do. We just do. Um, we do a little bit better with a guide, and ultimately, um, as we sit and we really work on as a church, even praying and fasting, and um, in this next month, that's an emphasis that we're going to have starting November first. Is we're going to do a season of prayer and fasting towards Thanksgiving, as we go through fifteen days of prayer and fasting, inevitably landing on the fifteenth with a with a, with a feast that we get to participate in on Wednesday night. And uh, and the sermons that are going to be taught throughout the month of November are going to be specifically targeting uh, what it looks like and how we deal with the emotions of things that we're working through. And so um, I just strongly encourage you uh, to continue to pray through this desire and burden that the Lord has put on you for those that yet are yet to know the good news of Jesus Christ, that he opens your eyes, that he, that he softens your heart as he reveals through his word, and as we look for opportunities to invite people into the very thing that we value and that we know God gives life through, and that's community, and that's his church, and that's living uh, by the Bible as we seek first his kingdom. Well, Ben, as we wrap up uh, and we are looking towards next week, uh, just a reminder, we are, we are headed towards next Sunday, um, the communion, the baptisms, kind of a celebration Sunday. Yeah. Um, throughout this week, what do you have um, that we should be thinking through? I would strongly push and drive us towards one preparation of our of our own hearts. Lord, search my heart mm -hmm. um, that we can approach His table with confidence. One that we are saved, that He that He reminds us of our salvation, but also the price that He chose to pay for us, and that we've received His gift of love 
um, and the righteousness of his blood. That's this block that many of us have, that we have a difficult time accepting that he loves us and receiving that love that he displayed on the cross. So that aspect of it through communion, I think is a beautiful, important thing that we must take seriously. Mm -hmm. But then the other side of it is if you haven't participated in believer's baptism, it's going to be a party and we're going to have a really good time worshiping Jesus through this act of obedience that's commanded in scripture. And so if you haven't done that, I want you to do it. And if you've got a friend that you've been desiring to share the gospel with, but you just feel like you haven't had the words to articulate the very thing that God's done in you, bring them to church so they can see through a symbol, through a display, through an act of obedience, the testimony of God. Like that's, that's, if there is someone that you're wanting to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, this Sunday is a pathway because they're going to see and hear the testimony that God saves. And so he will be glorified, and it's going to be a lot of fun on Sunday morning. So that's what I would encourage us towards as we continue to process and walk through uh, the Lord restoring our temple. Wonderful. Well, we thank everyone for uh, joining us again for another episode of Temple Talk. We love you. God loves you. We hope you have a good week. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Temple Talk. We hope that digging into God's Word together has enriched your perspective and brought encouragement. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, feel free to email them at templetalk at temple.church. You can also visit our website at temple.church for more resources. We pray God will continue to bless you and your loved ones as you seek Him in Scripture. We'll see you next time on Temple Talk. Temple Talk.